the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee. Engineer Clark Hilton is recovering from illness across the glass, hopefully sooner rather than later. And you may remember last month that we had a couple special guests with us from the Grotto. We had Tom Fulmer and Margaret Gunther. Unfortunately, we have some bad news that's happened since then. Approximately Sunday, December 14th, Three bronze plaques have disappeared from the grotto. They were stolen. And if you have any information on them, you can make yourself a hero by doing the right thing and calling the Portland Police Bureau's non-emergency line at 503-823-3333. If you have information on the grotto robbery, please call 503-823-3333. But enough of bad news. We've got good news. In our studio right now is an old friend. It's Deborah Klein, the daughter of the founder and former host Don Klein of the Voice of First Nation Ministries. Deborah is the president and host. They are Christians who care about First Americans. So if you haven't heard the program before, you really ought to check it out. It's weeknights at 6 right here on True Talk 800 and at 6.15 p.m. on 93.9 KPDQ, our sister station, with more information on their website, firstnationministries.org. So, Deborah Klein, thanks so much for coming out and joining us today. How are you? I'm well, Mike. Thank you so much for having me today. It's really good to have you right here in the studio, although Voice of First Nation Ministries has been on the air for quite a while, hasn't it? It has. You know, I, I can't... Um even tell you when it started. It actually started years and years ago under the name of Frontier Missions. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we started First Nation Ministries in January of 2007. And I think it was right around 2008 or so, maybe we went on the radio again. And before then, did you have any interest or aspirations? Or did your dad, Don Klein, who, who had the line that all of us remember? <laughs> and can you tell us the line? Hello there, neighbor. <laughs> In this big, booming, yeah. welcoming voice of his, which you've, you have adopted. So it's, it's good to have you aboard. I can tell you the story of Hello There, Neighbor. Oh, can you tell us where that began? I can. My dad grew up uh, back of Scapoose. Uh, Dutch Canyon was what it was called. And there were homes up there, but they were kind of far apart. And many times the men would go off to work during the day and the women would be alone. And there were, we used to call them hobos. I'm sorry, I don't know the politically correct name for them right now, but men that just tramped around and rode on trains and whatever. And they would be up in there and you just never walked up to a door. You didn't know if someone would meet you with a gun or there'd be a dog or whatever. And so you stood at the gate and you hollered, hello there, neighbor. And someone would come out if they were home, and if they weren't, you stayed away. And so that's where that came from. I never knew. Yeah. 
So there's a bit of tradition behind that. Yes. Yeah. Did you grow up hearing that all the time? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't remember because growing up with him, I didn't, I think I wasn't paying much attention when I was growing up. I had my own agenda. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us where you grew up in the first place. I born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, Our families were pioneer stock. They came across the covered wagons, settled on Solvay's Island. We call it Sophie's Island. The natives do. It's really Sauve Island. But uh, my my great-grandfather was the first white man to own deeded land. My great-great-grandfather. Well, that's very impressive. To own deeded land uh, there Bit on Sophie's Island, yeah. History that came yeah. along with that journey. Yeah, and there were Indians that camped there every year. Uh, Sophie's Island, be- before they had the dikes and it would flood, so it's not like you wanted to stay there year round, or the Indian people didn't. But they would they would come every year, every summer. So how was it growing up in such a situation? Did you meet a lot of people? I did. Uh, my dad was all my life was either pastoring a church, and then uh, then he became the conference president of the Wesleyan Methodist Church. Was a, that's an offshoot of the Methodist Church? They split over slavery. And the Wesleyan Methodists were against slavery many years ago. And it's a very conservative, you know, denomination. And he was conference president. And so every Sunday we were going to a different church. And, and most of the time my dad preached. So he was the traveling preacher yes, at that point, huh? pretty much. So how was yeah. that, being a PK, being a pastor's kid, going city to city, church to church? You know, I didn't know anything different. I, I just knew that I never had any friends because— we never stayed in one place. We were at a different church every Sunday. And so you know how some kids go to ch- Sunday school or church and they have friends that they grow up with and go to school. I, I never had that, but I didn't know the difference. So Because that's all you knew. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah. Were you the only one, Any ch- only child, any siblings? I have an older brother. Uh, he's three years older than I. And then we, uh, my parents took in two foster kids when I was in like eighth grade or so, and then through high school. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, were they around at the same age as you and your brother, or were they older or younger? They or were older. Um, one was younger, I think, than between my brother and I, and the other one was the the oldest of all of us. So how was that? I mean, basically, Don Klein was fostering before fostering was cool like it is today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was fine. You know, it was actually my idea because um, we knew there were four kids, actually, and and we knew about them. And I guess, I don't remember it, but Dad always told me that I said, oh, Dad, can't we take them with us? And and so they did. They took the two boys, but they wouldn't give us the younger two. They placed the younger two elsewhere, which, you know, I don't think they would do that in this day and age if they could avoid it. Mm. I think they try to keep siblings together. I think it helps. Yeah. Personally, yeah. we've encountered a bunch of families over the years, particularly here in Oregon. That I must credit the Pacific Northwest with. When we first started going to our former church in Milwaukee, my kids were raised alongside a number of families that were fostering and adopting, and more often than not, it was out of race and ethnicity. Mm. And so my kids don't know any better. Mm-hmm. So so they are half Chinese and half, well, Caucasian, mm-hmm. combination of English, Dutch, and 164 Cherokee Indian. Have you done the DNA thing, Mike? I have not. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that? 
Well, you just send away for like Ancestry.com. You can send away for the kit, you know, I spit in a bottle or whatever, and, and they send it off to a lab, and they will tell you the percentage of whatever ethnicity that you are. You know, that's really interesting. One of my wife's predecessors came over on the Mayflower. So unfortunately, when we lived out in New York, we never got around to go into this party we were eligible to go to. Oh, wow. For descendants of Mayflower passengers. Oh, that's too bad. You should have. I know. I'm going to do that DNA thing. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. You never know who you're going to end up related to, right? I know. I have a good idea now, and I just want to know if it's true. So, Got to be careful about that. <laughs> so I want to share more about you and your history and your dad, founder Don Klein, of mm-hmm. Voice of First Nation Ministries. But before we go any further, can you give a brief overview of the radio ministry for those who are less familiar with it? Uh of the radio ministry or mm-hmm. the ministry? What, um, let, let's talk about both. Okay. The, the ministry, what we do, what Dad started over 45 years ago, uh, he started taking food and clothing and furniture and shoes and coats and anything he could get his hands on to Native Americans who still live on reservations. Because contrary to popular belief, the, the, the tribes in the Northwest um, are— doing better than other tribes uh, because they have casinos, they have things that they can sell. They have rights to salmon, they have rights to timber, mineral rights. Uh, But you get back like on the Pine Ridge in South Dakota, that's the second poorest reservation in the country. And it's, it's just desperate back there. And, uh, and, and of course there are even some in the Northwest that are really poverty stricken too. And so uh, his, he felt called to help those reservation Indians, and we've just that's what we're doing today. We're just carrying it on. Uh, people donate vehicles. Uh, we take them out there. We take food, clothing, anything, we, anything you need to live your life, they're going to need to live their lives too, and we just try to supply that. That's just fantastic. I look at some of the organizations in the Portland area, the ones that pop into my head right now would be Love Inc. or Compassion Connect or Bridgetown Ministries, who are just reaching out mm-hmm. to serve people because people are out there to be served and hopefully learn the love of Jesus alongside these resources that are they're getting. But apparently your dad was doing this before it was hip and cool in Portland, and in particular, he was doing it for the Native Americans. Yes. So I wonder what the prompted that in the first place. I can tell you the story. Uh, when my dad pastored in Portland, he became friends with a man named Howard Marks and later Howard's son, Robert Marks. And uh, Howard Marks owned a car dealership for Studebakers. And I don't know how my dad met him, how they became friends, but anyway... Um, Howard Marks said, Don, you need a, a new car this year. And Don said, you know, I can't have a new car. I can't afford that. And and Howard said, well, he said, you leave it to me. And so he would he actually gave my dad a new car every year. And my dad was concerned that people would think he was wasting God's money or whatever. And so Howard gave him the same color car every, every year. And Howard went moose hunting up in Canada every year. And so he would take my dad. That's fantastic. We're going to hear more about Don Klein and the voice of First Nation Ministries with his daughter and the president of the ministry, Deborah Klein, next on True Talk 800.
You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800, the flagship station of the voice of First Nation Ministries, heard weeknights at 6, and is also broadcast on our sister station, weeknights at 6.15 on 93.9 KPDQ. With us in the studio today, the president and host of the voice of First Nation Ministries, Deborah Klein. So, Deborah, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Mike. And before the break, you were telling us how your dad, Don Klein, got into not only being a pastor and a traveling minister, but specifically serving the needs of First Americans. Well, I was telling you, he was friends with a a car dealer in Portland, Howard Marks, and Howard would treat him to moose hunts every fall up in Canada. And so uh, one, one trip they made up there, Sunday came around, and my dad... Uh, really held to keeping the Sabbath day holy. And so these men were kind of getting ready to go out and hunting on Sunday. And he said, well, boys, he said, I, I'm not going to hunt on the Sabbath. And they laughed and they said, we wondered what you'd do. And they said, why don't you preach us a sermon? Well, there were Indian men in the camp who served as guides on the hunting trip. And so dad preached. And some of those men from the States they were businessmen. You know, uh, Howard Marks was a Presbyterian, and uh, there was another guy, I can't remember his name. I think he was in the paint business. But anyway, um, they actually went to the altar, and they said, you know, we've tightened up some lines. We we kind of got slack in our Christian walk, and thank you for that. Well, there was a big Indian, uh, over six feet tall, and he came up to my dad, and he just put him in a bear hug, and he said, why don't you come and help us? We live a hundred miles away and all we have are horses. How are my children going to know about God? Come and help us. And so that night, dad said it was, the moon was full. And so it was pretty light outside. And he walked uh, the perimeter of the hunting camp that night. And he was fussing at God. And he said, God, why don't you help these Indian people? And he said, the Lord just spoke to him and said, why don't you help these Indian people? And so that was the beginning. He transitioned out of pastoring and uh, started Frontier Missions. And he started by, he had a pickup truck with a canopy. And he got some uh, uh, fruit growers to give him apples. And he just started out with a truckload of apples. So this is very Portlandia, very grassroots. He just started yes. because he saw a need. Yes. God put it on his heart, and he yes. just went out and attacked it. And he talked about it all the time. We used to joke in our family, you know, don't don't get Dad started. He'll talk about Frontier Missions. But he did. He lived and breathed that ministry. And, and then Danner Boots uh, gave him some boots, cowboy boots, leftovers or whatever. And uh, so then he had a truckload of those. And... Uh, he was out, and there was a little boy that needed boots, and he couldn't find them because they were packed in the in the canopy. And he said the Lord spoke to him and said, you couldn't find the boots for that little boy. He said, you're, you're digging with a spoon instead of with a shovel. He said, you need to get a bigger truck. And, of course, you know, we're we're just plain folks, our family. My dad always says he's a hillbilly, but, I mean— a big rig, that's a lot of money, sure. you know? And so he Our said, Studebaker owning friend wasn't coming yeah, through with a big truck, was he? That's right. <laughs> so on one of his trips, he happened to go into a cafe to get 
dinner, a cup of coffee. And uh, he heard there were some men sitting at a table next to him. And he heard one of the men said, well, praise God. And so my dad went over and he said, you sound like a brother. I said, I heard you praising the Lord. And and this man said, uh, you know, who are you and what do you do? And he said, well, I'm Don Klein. And he said, that's my truck out there. And this man said, where? He said, I don't see a truck. And he said, well, that right there. He said, that's not a truck. That's a pickup. He said, I'll show you a truck. Well, this man happened to be Woody Clark, and who uh, he started in Pendleton. He's still in Pendleton, but for many years he had a truck company out in Troutdale. He sells big rigs. He services them, sells them, rents them. And so for many years he rented uh, a big rig and a trailer to my dad for one penny. Are you serious? For, I'm serious. And he said, and if you wreck my truck, he says, I'm going to collect that penny. <laughs> And so, you know, that that's just how it started. It was just God, just God opening doors and, and making a way for this ministry. I love the fact that he was willing to be obedient. It's like yes. that Matthew West song, and it's about doing something. Yes. And then God said he did. He said, I created you. And, and in this case, your dad, Don Klein, went out and with reckless abandon served these first Americans because they were there to be served. He did. And, you know, my dad, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a fearful man because back in my grandpa's day, there was no health insurance, no ambulance that would, no 911. And so, and he was a logger. He worked on the river. He worked in the woods. And you had to be careful. Sure. These are high-risk careers. Yes. And so he instilled that into my father. And so my dad... uh, I I think he's a f- kind of a fearful guy. He says he's just careful. You know, he doesn't want to have any accidents or, you know, do any permanent damage. But for him to take out, I mean, he he learned on his own how to drive big rig. He had another trucker just, you know, say show me how to shift the gears and I mean, he kind of learned on his own and then to take out in the winter uh, which, you know, maybe here it's not so bad, but you go up the gorge and you head over the mountains and whatever in a big rig in snowy, icy weather. Oh, it's bad enough in four-wheel drive. In a big rig, I, I would assume that that's going to be even greater a challenge. Exactly. And then the trucks that Woody, you know, rented to him, bless him, were grateful for the rentals. But, I mean, you know, gears would go out and transmissions would go out. And so there was always the stress of, you know, what's going to happen? But my dad was faithful. I always tell people, my dad is not a perfect man. And if any of you know him, you know that to be true. He's not a perfect man, but he is a faithful man. And he has been faithful to God's calling his entire life. So was it tough growing up a, a PK, a pastor's child? Uh, well, With a lot I, of added pressure on you? Or I didn't like it. all you knew? I didn't like it because, you know... The, I'm just asking the Lord to help me to grow old with a gracious, loving spirit. Because some some people, Christians included, as they get older, they're just cranky. They lose their joy. They do. And, and when this generation sees that, they see a cantankerous person firing Bible verses at them maliciously. Yeah. And they say, what you have, I don't want any part of. Right. And, and that's really... Sad. Yeah, and they get critical. And so I was the brunt of a lot of criticism, especially being raised in a very, uh, you know, 
what's the word? Not liberal, but conservative. Conservative. Thank you. Conservative denomination. So, you know, I just felt picked on. (laughs) So when did Don Klein become a pastor? In the first place, uh, he wanted to be. He he grew up working in the woods, just like my grandpa. He you know, uh, and he wanted to own big rigs. That was his dream, to own a fleet of them, logging trucks or whatever. And he he became a Christian when he was sixteen years old. He went to the camp over on Holgate, hundred and eighth and Holgate, I think it is, here in Portland, and he got saved, and. Uh, he felt that he should go to Bible college back in Kansas. And so he, he told the Lord, yeah. Well, while he was back there, then the Lord said to him, he said, I want, he said, I want you to be a preacher. And my dad did not want to be a preacher. He had dreams of being a truck driver and an owner of a fleet. And, you know, and he wrestled with that. And he finally said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And the Lord said, I'm not calling you now. I just want, you know. Are you willing? And so uh, he graduated from Bible school, and then the Lord called him. And he was an evangelist for several years until he started having kids. And then he and my mom settled into a pastorate. And where had they met in the first place? Uh, they, they met at together? this. They met at no. She she was a rancher's daughter out of Baker, Montana. That's way over in the eastern border of Montana. And she went to, it was, a, it was the church college in Miltonville, Kansas. So it was the Wesleyan Methodist, you know, Bible school and uh, college. And that's where they met. Very nice. That's and a story in itself. <laughs> so was growing up in a Christian home fairly standard for you? Did you ever have any doubts? When did that light bulb moment go off in your head where you owned your faith for yourself, not because you were Don Klein's daughter? You know, it didn't happen until I was in my 20s. And I'm not one of those people that, you know, I can say on July 2nd, 19, such and such, I gave my heart. It happened to me. It was such a gradual, you know, thing. I I gave my heart to the Lord, but I was still doing things because I had rebelled against that conservative uh, denomination. That was just like torture for me. And, And I rebelled badly. And so in my 20s, I gave my heart to the Lord, and but I was still doing things. You know, I'd still go out to a nightclub and go dancing and, you know, so. But gradually, you know, I, I love that song. I found a friend. Oh, oh, what a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love. And that's how I I feel. He, and thus he bound me to him. He just He just drew me with his love. In your 20s. We're speaking with the president and host of Voice of First Nation Ministries, Deborah Klein, whose dad you may have heard once or twice before, (laughs) the founder, Don Klein, Christians who care about First Americans. And you hear the program weeknight at 6 right here on True Talk 800 and also on our sister station at 615 on 93.9 KPDQ. You can find out more information on their website, which is firstnationministries.org. That's firstnationministries.org. More with Deborah Klein next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. 
Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800, where you can listen to the voice of First Nation Ministries with our guest, Deborah Klein, weeknights at 6. It's also airing on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ, weeknights at 6.15. And Deborah, you were sharing about growing up. Yes. As the daughter of Don Klein, growing up a PK, a pastor's kid, yes. and the difficulties that came along with that. But by the grace of God, it's awesome that you came to own your own faith yes. in your 20s, if I remember correctly, yes. right? Yes. So with your experience, do you believe that we as the church, not any particularly building or denomination, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, does the mainstream church today fail its own people in addition to failing to a degree, those who don't yet know the Lord, if by certain practices that we do or certain, say, prejudices that we might hold or convey to our kids, whether or not it's in the forefront of our minds. Mm-hmm. I, I think yes. You know, I, I think we're getting better, actually. I think there's more of a feeling of inclusiveness and a more of an understanding that we're all part of the family of God. And I'm grateful for that. But I think, you know— there's still some, and, and in, you know, previous years, there is. There's a prejudice against other denominations um, that we kind of instill in the people that are going to our church. Um, there's legalism. Legalism is a really a damaging thing. And I, and I think some churches don't understand that, and they want so much to, you know— Kind of separate themselves from the pack. And to be so good before God. But, you know, we're just all filthy rags. We are. We are. And so we can't be good enough to impress God. But, you know, in an effort to try to impress him, I think a lot of denominations and the church, they make up rules that they're really just man-made rules. Or maybe it's a rule for an individual. Maybe God places that on your heart that, you know, you need to do this or you shouldn't do that. And that's fine. This is probably an eternal debate that we're going to have on this earth because you've got the one camp that doesn't want to be a stumbling block to anyone else ever. And then you've got the other camp that says that we have freedom on this earth. Mm -hmm. We don't have to walk on eggshells. We don't have to be bound by legalism. And I don't think that everything's relative Deborah Klein, I don't. Okay, but there are certain aspects of both arguments that you could probably find some happy medium in front of. For instance, um, I will not drink a beer in front of relatives that have had a drinking problem in the past. Um, I won't drag someone who used to have a gambling problem to one of the casinos. Right. Because I can't afford to go into one of the casinos. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a different story. I think it's a sensitivity, Mike. I think we need to be sensitive to not offend our brothers and sisters or even, uh, you know, the world. We need to be—you need to have a sensitivity. And if there's things that it's okay for me, God has not convicted me of doing it. But if I know that he's convicted you of doing it, then it's just out of courtesy and a sensitivity that, you know— I'll stay away from it for your sake. I think that's fair. And it's being generous. You know, I could do this, but to honor you and not be a stumbling block, I'm yes. going to refrain from it this time around. Yes. And I think that's, that is sharing the love of Christ in a it different is. way. So I'm going to change gears here, okay. which would probably be a good term for your truck fan dad, Don Klein. But 
It's funny, I'll just throw this in, because after he started driving big rug, big rigs uh, for Frontier Missions, he, he said, I thank the Lord over and over again that he never gave me that fleet of trucks. He said it would have been a miserable life driving those trucks all the time. I think so. God's got a really good sense of humor, though. I think he does, too. I'm dating myself here, but there was a show I used to watch. I'm going to guess it was late 70s, early 80s, and it was called BJ and the Bear, starring Greg Evigan, mm-hmm. driving a tr- this big red truck cross country with his best friend, a chimp named Bear. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it'd be really cool to drive a big rig across country. It was always shiny red. He always had gorgeous women falling at his feet and all these great adventures. And then, man, when we moved cross country, I drove a 26-foot rider truck dragging <laughs> my Saturn wagon behind it. Yeah. And it was just torturous. Yeah. It's like driving up the pass in a snowy day. Your, your hands are gripped around the wheel so right. tight that you, you're just in constant fear. So. So God delivered me from that. I was able to live out that dream, and may I never have to do that again. Yeah. But, you know, he's such an awesome, wonderful God. Uh, like in my dad's case, he thought he wanted to drive truck, but God had other plans. But yet God allowed him to fulfill that dream, allowed him to drive a big rig and realize that, oh, thank goodness my prayer wasn't answered years ago because I wouldn't want to do this as a as a career. I'm convinced by the grace of God alone, since I came back to him in my 20s and rededicated my life to him, that when I die from this earth, I'm going to go up to the pearly gates, and I'm envisioning a big screen. And on this big screen, (laughs) it's not only going to be the really bad things that God forgave me for, or or the good things that I never knew touched people's lives that he'll give me a glimpse of, but I also believe it's going to be like those... um, those old black and white Charlie Chaplin type movies where he was just oblivious to all these disasters happening yep. around him. Yes. I think I'm going to get a highlight reel of yes. the things God protected me from that Absolutely. I'm just completely clueless about. Yeah. So yes. was it tough being the rebellious for a stage daughter of a pastor in Don Klein, your dad? And how did he react to that? Was he different <laughs> behind the pulpit than he was with the family in real life? No, no, he absolutely wasn't different. Uh, and I think it was just hard on him. I, I was rebellious and I didn't care, you know, uh, but I think it was, I think it was hard on him. I think it hurt him to see me rebel against what he was trying to teach me. He thought it absolutely was the right thing. Although frankly, in his later years, he, he saw that it wasn't that important. Uh, things like, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to wear jewelry. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I wasn't allowed to wear pants or sandals or or cut my hair, you know, just legalistic things like that. And I just, I just was tortured with that. I hated that. But he truly believed it was important. And then when he got older, he realized it wasn't that big a deal. Does it make you wonder what things we're clinging to nowadays that we just wished people would do and that God's probably up? up in heaven, scratching his head, saying, did you really miss me this badly to think that? Yeah. All the legalism out there. My old church back in New York had a habit of when pastors went to your wedding, they would stay until the dancing began. Then they'd all get up and leave with their wives. And I don't think they were trying to make any other statement than we want you to have fun, but we don't want to be a stumbling block for someone else. But I kind of wish they would just be able to lighten up the least bit and enjoy a wedding reception. I'm not talking about fists flying, a drunken brawl by any means. but God created dancing. That came right from heaven. David danced before the Lord. 
you know. So I think we've got a warped idea and... Of course, the devil twisted it into the cha-cha slide, yeah. which I never and ever got. Electric slide, I kind of understood, but the cha-cha slide, just, <laughs> I just don't get that. I don't even know and what it there is. There are other so. things out there. It's just a typical <laughs> dance that the DJ throws on. Everyone gets yeah. on the dance floor. Yeah. That's true. Everything good that God has made for us, Satan has perverted. He, he offers a perversion of God's gift. So and, and you have to guard against that, but... Somehow we have to leave the legalism behind and we just do. focus on Christ and his example. We do. It's hard to be loving when you're legalistic mm. because you're so concerned on watching to make sure everybody's following the rules that you kind of forget to love them. But somewhere down the line, when you came to own your own faith in your 20s, yes. you were able to push that behind and not have it be a stumbling block anymore because your dad was on a more conservative side if you weren't to wear yes. makeup or jewelry or pants, for instance. Right. So were you able to find that common ground between you and your dad where, you know what, he was proud of you, and maybe you wore makeup and pants at that point? Yeah. But did did he have that release? I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know. Uh, my parents were never—my parents were the kind of old-school people that they would brag about you to other people, but you never heard it because they, they didn't want you to be proud. Is that a generational thing? I think it is. Because I think it is. That, that's something that my wife and I really try to do with our kids. I yeah. don't know to what degree of success yet, but hopefully they know that they're loved. Yeah. They're loved because they breathe and yeah. they're alive. Yeah. And I knew at that the my same dad time, we're proud me. of them for what they do, but that's not why we love them. So how do you convey that, really, as a parent? I think just telling, talking to them, just telling them. I, I tell my son, even now, 35 years old, how proud I am of him. And I know he's not perfect, but I feel like Henry Fonda, the actor, he, he was giving an interview one time, and, you know, he had kind of a, a itchy, scratchy relationship with his daughter, Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. And he, he uh, said in this interview, he said, she's perfect. He said, I know what she's done, but he said, to me, she's perfect. And that's how I feel about my my son, and I try to convey that. I know he's not perfect. I know my parents weren't perfect, but to me they are. You know, they did the best they could under the circumstances, the best that they knew how. And I just try to encourage my son that I'm proud of him, and, and I think that's what we have to do. So boast on and brag about your son for a little bit. What are you most proud of right now as a mom? You know what? Uh, and I have to give God all the glory for this. Uh, my son struggled in school. And, you know, being young and just dumber than a post, I thought, you know, he's lazy. You you need to shape up. You need to, you know, do your homework, blah, blah, blah. Well, then when he hit puberty in middle school, um, he was getting ready to go to school one morning, and he was trying to talk to me, and it was gibberish, and I realized he's having a seizure. Well, Come to find out, all through grade school, when he was struggling to learn, he was having seizures, which means he was losing big blocks of time out of what was being taught, because it's the kind of seizure where they just stare, and you don't realize they're having a seizure. So anyway, uh, and and every you know the family kind of thought, oh poor Jesse, you know he's not college material. What's going to happen to him? What can he be? You know, maybe a bus driver or whatever. Well, God was so good to him. And and Jesse worked for Frontier Missions for minimum wage for years and years. He was faithful in that. And then the Lord opened up an opening for him at Tidewater 
barge company. And so he he's on the Columbia River going up and down up to the Snake and, and down to the Astoria uh, and making really good money. Good for Jesse. You know, and so I'm just so grateful that God honored his service to the ministry when, when you know, other people were making fun of him because he was working for minimum wage. But he did it. He did it for his grandpa, you know, and he hung in there. And then God just blessed him with this wonderful, you know, career where they want him to be a captain on the tugboat. And that'll be super good money. Deborah so, Klein is the president and host of the Voice of First Nation Ministries. Christians who care about First Americans heard at 615 weeknights on 93.9 KPDQ and weeknights at 6 right here on True Talk 800. Thanks for joining us on Difference Makers on True Talk 800 with our very special guest, Deborah Klein, the host of the Voice of First Nation Ministries, president of the ministry and the daughter of its founder, Don Klein. It's heard weeknights at 6 on True Talk 800 and at 6.15 on 93.9 KPDQ. They are Christians who care about First Americans. So, Deborah, I'd like to ask you, do any families or stories stand out in your mind of someone you were able to give assistance to and help and, and reach out to and share the love of Christ with? Ooh, there've been a lot. <laughs> Pick one. Um, of course, my mind is blank now, but um, Cindy Antelope back on the Pine Ridge was one. Um, so where did you meet her in the first place? Well, I, I knew about her through my dad. Uh, and she uh, is a widow and she has children. Very often on reservations, there's not enough uh, tribal housing. And so you'll see single-wide trailer houses. They aren't even mobile homes. They're like trailer houses. That's what people live in. And, uh, and, and they all run on propane. And a lot of times the winters are so bad that they run out of propane. And if the weather's bad and the delivery truck can't get through, then you're just sitting there in the cold. And so they burn furniture. They will burn anything. Uh, And Cindy was burning candles, trying to generate a little heat. And she had her kids and her grandkids because, you know, they don't, you don't get to have your own place on the reservation. Families pretty much live together. And uh, they, that's why we don't take that many bed frames. We take mattresses and they just stack them up in the corner during the day and at night, they spread them out and people sleep on the floor. They squeeze it in because that's their world. That's all they have. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not enough room for a bed for all those bed frames in, in their houses because their houses are not large. But anyway, uh, and then she told me that I said, we're going to come and visit you. And she said she she seemed uncomfortable with that. And she said, well, I don't have any furniture. And I said, well, Cindy, what do you have? And she said, well, I have a chair, but one of the legs is broken, and I have a kitchen table, and I can't remember if she had something else. But, I mean, that was it. The bare bones things that we take for granted every day. Yeah, I couldn't stand it. And so in that load that we took, we took her a complete house full of furniture. And And that's wonderful. It was wonderful. All the neighbors came and stood and watched, you know, because that's how it is on the reservation. You come with a truck and you're going to have a crowd around you. So That's a great way to, to reach people. Yes, yes. And like Dad said, you cannot preach to these Indian people about the bread of life when their bellies are empty. Mm. You have to give them bread and then you can talk to them about the bread of life. 
So your servanthood to the first Americans really helps open the door to share the gospel, but they can't be hungry in their belly and and get a salvation message as readily as if they have a place to sit right? or they had a meal in their stomach. So what are the greatest needs that you would classify for First Nation Ministries right now? What do you have the greatest needs for in order to reach out to these people? Okay. Our greatest need is always prayer. Just pray for this ministry. Uh, and then the second greatest need is is money because it costs, you know, diesel. It's it's pretty good price now, but for several years, it's been terribly high, higher than gasoline, which is ridiculous. But uh, so, it you know, the fuel money's high. We have to rent a warehouse. Just the costs of running uh, the ministry. And then we have several Native American uh, Christians, workers out on the reservation that we support financially. And I'm so happy to do that because uh, the best way to reach a, a Native American is through a Native American who's come to know Jesus. And so we really try to support those natives that are on the front line. And then, we, of course, donations. Food is probably a top priority. Any kind of bed that you have, because beds and food are the number one needs. And then furniture, anything you need for your house, they need for theirs. And vehicles, you know, pickup trucks, cars, motorcycles, uh, anything like that. So maybe you're coming to a stage of life where you don't need that motorcycle in the garage anymore. You've got to help mom (laughs) uh, kind of get weaned off her driver's license because she's getting a little older on in years. Right. They can make these donations. Now, I'm not a CPA, which is why I have an accountant do our taxes for us. But oftentimes, when you give something to a a nonprofit organization, isn't it a tax break that you can capitalize on or something like that? Here's what we've been told by our CPA is that If you donate a vehicle, and let's say it's not suitable to go to the reservation, uh, maybe it's not running right, maybe it would cost more to fix it than to donate it. Um, And so we will ask your permission to sell it. And if you give us permission, then you are allowed to claim what we sell it for on your taxes. However, if it's a vehicle that's usable on the reservation and we donate it, you can claim full blue book value on that car, on your taxes. So not only are you helping out the first Americans, you're getting a vehicle that you could not use anymore or right. use the space for out of your garage, and you're getting a tax break all at once. Exactly. And it's a lot easier than putting it up on classifieds or, God forbid, trying to sell it on Craigslist. Yeah. Wonder what kind of strange people will come or call at all times of the day to buy you your vehicle. Yeah. And you'll probably get more for it as a tax write-off than you will as a trade-in, too, actually. Sure. Well, and, that's a good idea. Yeah. And how about needs for the ministry itself? Are are you guys uh, doing okay with your vehicles you know, after your your dad and founder, Don Klein, had these trucks for a while? Yeah. Is it okay? Or well, do you have any improvements that you'd like to see happen? We do. I I call it the wish list. Uh, we don't use 18-wheelers anymore because they're so expensive. You have to have a special license to drive them, so that limits your drivers. And there's road taxes and the upkeep on them. They're just hugely expensive. And then when you get to the reservation, they don't have facilities big enough to contain a, a semi-load. And so we are wanting to purchase uh, a 30-foot or so box van truck. 
because that's just about the right size to give enough supplies to last for a while. And yet um, you don't have to have special licensing, pay special taxes, that kind of thing. So, so that would be a lot more functional for the everyday duties that yeah. First Nation ministries would like to serve to these people. Right. Right. And so we're we're asking God to work that out in his time and and in his way. So friends, antique store owners, <laughs> Craigslist junkies, if you've got that 30-foot truck on the side of your hatch, trying to wonder what to do with it, maybe, just maybe, prayerfully, you would consider donating it to First Nation Ministries. And if you'd like to email Deborah Klein, the president and the host of The Voice of First Nation Ministries, you can send your note to mail at firstnationministries.org. That's mail at firstnationministries.org. So in our last minute or a half or so, Deborah Klein, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anyone else you'd like to say hi to or, or thank? I want to thank all our teammates. I always say on our broadcast, we have the best teammates, the best supporters in the whole world. Uh, they've been so faithful and so good to us. And I just want to thank you all who have prayed for us and donated to us and, and just stood with us down through the years. Bless your hearts and thank you. So your dad's not getting any younger on this earth. How are you holding up being a major caretaker for him? Are you doing, doing okay? I'm doing all right. It's a challenge. Dad is on hospice right now and he's bedridden and uh, I'm taking care of him. Uh, so I, I try to spend most mornings at the office, but there's a message on our, our phone line that if I'm not there, just call the house. There you go. It's still not too late to donate to the radio ministry for 2014. If you'd like more information, check out the website, firstnationministries.org, or give Deborah Klein a call. The main number is 503-408-2391. That's 503-408-2391. Deborah Klein, thank you so much for coming on today, representing the voice of First Nation Ministries. Thank you, Mike. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.